Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 323. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, what's up? Not a whole lot. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Joe Berlinger's Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. We'll also be talking about something we're watching on the watch list, including my rundown of the Tribeca Film Festival. And we'll be going over this week's new releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Remember, you can help support Film Pulse by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash filmpulse for just a dollar a month. And uh, please consider reviewing us on iTunes as well. That would be extremely helpful. Just one uh, one bit of housekeeping. No, No Ryan watches a movie this week, but hopefully... He'll be back next week. He's working on some stuff. I think he's getting new carpet. Oh, and like all his, his, like his whole, his whole recording setup was just, like, just completely dis- dismantled. Oh boy. And he thought he had some kind of temporary setup going, but I guess, I guess not. not. I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but get some new carpet. All right, right. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to get something recorded this week so that we can publish it next week. So stay tuned for that. With that, I think we can jump into our review. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. First off, so this is directed by Joe Berlinger. I have a synopsis here. A courtroom frenzy ensues and sweeps 1970s America when a young single mother reluctantly tips the attention of a widespread manhunt toward her longtime boyfriend, Ted Bundy. The stars Lily Collins and Zac Efron. The title. Let's... <laughs> you couldn't come up with something better. I mean, seriously, it's too long. This mo- this title is too long. It is. Uh, it's too long. I will agree. But they pulled they pulled it straight from the yeah transcript. Yeah, I know. Which makes it even it makes it kind of worse too. Because then when the judge says that, yeah, it's it's, like, oh, the title of the movie. Yeah, it's not. Nah, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't a fan of this movie at all. No, I, I don't. I honestly don't understand the point of this. No, the, I see that. Get it. Why see, does this exist? That was my question throughout the whole thing. Why does it exist? I think it was last. Was it last year or maybe earlier this year? I think it was last year when the Ted Bundy tapes yeah, came yeah. out. Yeah. What's this all about? What's this new fascination with Ted Bundy? Why is Netflix going all in on Ted Bundy for some it's, reason? I don't know. It's it's the same director. So you had this like eight or 10 part series on Ted Bundy come out. Very detailed, exhaustive documentary series that just goes through pretty much everything. And then you come out with this hour and 50 minute movie that it pretty much just, it does the same thing, only it glosses over everything. Yeah. And at, at, at the end, I was just like, okay, why did I just, why did I watch this? Why does it exist? It, it was so pointless. Like, I guess maybe they were trying to show more of Ted Bundy as a person and just how, cunning and and charismatic he was but do you have to right i yeah i I don't do we need this and and it would be one thing if sure it's sure we don't need it but it would be one thing if it was if it was entertaining you know like if it if it was something that i could watch and be entertained by or feel like i learned something from it you know, like a glimpse inside the mind of Ted Bundy. Or one of the things that they try to do, I think, in this movie is show a lot of Lily Collins' character, or his his girlfriend. Which, yeah, which is kind of what I was getting from the the early stages of this movie. Early on, where it seems like we're kind of positioning Ted Bundy from the perspective of Lily Collins' character, Liz, that she plays. And 
it's like, okay, so we're, we're kind of seeing this guy as she's seeing him, where we, we don't try not to know anything about Ted Bunny, the crimes he committed. They never show any of the crimes, thank God. And you're just seeing him as she saw him, where, you know, he's just this nice guy. Which makes sense for a while, but then, like, large chunks of this movie, she just disappears. She's not in it anymore. Right. And it's just him, like, escaping from jail and stuff. Yeah, so after he gets arrested the first time and escapes, well, I guess he gets he gets arrested, then he's, like, out on bail, and then he ends up going back, and then that's when he escapes. When he sort of flees to Florida, that's when the shift sort of happens and we just spend most of our time with him. It cuts back, it cuts back to her periodically, but it's all just her getting drunk on the couch, watching the news. Yeah. You know, which is, I don't know. Like to me, that felt somewhat disrespectful, even though, okay, maybe that's what she did do with most of her time. But at the same time, it's just, it was like a little clip of just her being extremely despondent, pouring herself a drink, and she's sitting on a couch. Like, her daughter's not even around anymore. Like, I don't even know what... (laughs) Yeah, but... Did she have custody of her daughter at that point? I don't know. Yeah, the daughter disappears. Like, all she has custody of is, like, six bottles of vodka and a little tumbler glass, and she just... That's all she does all the time. You know, it'd be interesting if if they kept the focus solely on her through the whole thing like they never followed ted at all and just kept kept it focused on her i think that would have been better yeah and i thought for a moment that that's kind of what it was gonna be because you're just kind of seeing like when he gets picked up for like running two stop signs you know like they never show any of the of the crimes that he commits. Right. They don't really discuss the crimes that much either. You're kind of left in the dark, like as, as you would be if you were her, you know, the, a lot of the stuff they can't talk about. So you're just kind of getting bits and pieces here until later on when it's the, it becomes kind of this nation, this national news story and there's cameras in the, you know, in the courtroom and everything. And it kind of becomes this circus. That's kind of what I thought it was. And then, you know, that happens. And I'm like, okay, we're going to be focusing more, I guess, on how this was like the first nationalized or not nationalized, first televised mm-hmm. uh, trial and like how that was a whole thing. But even that didn't really feel like an exploration. Like nothing felt explored at all. Like yeah. it, it was just, just bullet points glossing over a ton of stuff for like i honestly believe that the only reason this exists is because someone was like wow zach efron he looks a lot like ted bundy (laughs) like we could make that movie and then someone was like yeah well let's do it i guess yeah (laughs) in fact it's funny because one of my notes here is just bullet points because that's exactly what this movie is it's just segmented bullet points of his crimes and the subsequent trial and the craziness. And I mean, to be fair, it's a fascinating story, but I think if you watch the documentary series, you would gain so much more from, from that than this movie. Yeah. I don't, and it's a good documentary series and it just came out either. It was either last year or earlier this year, but yeah, I think that was right on the, the threshold there. Of the 2018, 2019, because I knew it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Because I remember thinking, like, why is there so much Ted Bundy stuff? <laughs> why is this happening? Yeah. Does, like, it's the year of the serial killer. Is it not offensive to the 30 plus victims to be like, hey, we've got Zach Efron to play Ted Bundy? Like, what the fuck? We don't need that. Which, by the way, I think he did fine in that role. Like, yeah, I, but, I, I, I don't know why, like, people are still on the fence about Zac Efron for some reason. They, like, they're not sure if he's a good actor or not. But so, like, to me, this was a, a good role for him, but it wasn't like 
Like I already thought he was a good actor, you know. So it was, this here. wasn't like a breakout. No, and I don't think it. I don't think it can be a breakout for him because let's be honest, the writing in this is extremely basic. Yeah, I, like not only is it bullet points, but I mean, this is dumbed down, big time. Oh, majorly, majorly. It's just like and, you know, it's all the cliched things. Like I don't know what I would do if you left me. Yeah, I I also like I looked through some of the letterboxed reviews on this and it seems a little mixed but uh mostly negative but oh one of the a uh, couple of the reviews mentioned the music and the music selection being good and I completely disagree. I thought that the music selection was was very poor mostly because every song pick is so on the nose and that really bothers me in movies when they choose a song because like one specific lyric of the song relates to what's happening mm-hmm. in the scene that, awesome. that that bothers me and that, that happens pretty frequently throughout this movie yeah to play you know semi-hits from the time like you just imagine yourself being you know somewhat related in some way to like one of these victims and this is what's happening in 2019 like would you think that back in the 70s or 80s that they're going to get fucking Zac Efron to play this dude. And they're going to play fucking hits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially because you know, not all of his victims were killed either. There were survivors. And I think that releasing something like this would certainly, you know, dredge up these horrible, this horrible trauma that these and people I mean, went through for what? What is like, there's no exploration whatsoever. Nothing. Yeah. Whether I mean, it, it, it's society's role in kind of, uh, I, I don't know how I want to put that, but the, well, the whole idea of televising the, yeah, I mean, it know, was all, making it the, worse. Yeah. The killings, the killings were, were glamorized, right? Like everything about this was a show. And I think that because, he was a, a really intelligent guy. He was a good-looking guy. That that made things so much worse. And then, of course, you had like the the theatrical element of of the the trial where he, you know, proposed to that that uh, ex girlfriend of his while she was on the stand, and they got married right then and there because there's a crazy loophole in the Florida judicial system. And just all of that stuff. I think that televising it was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Huge mistake. But yeah, they, they just, they don't, it's not like it's an exploration into the mind of a serial killer or anything like that. Um, I think that, uh, was it uh, my friend Dahmer that came out um, a couple of years ago? Like that was a really fascinating journey into the the mind of Jeffrey Dahmer. And looking at that and comparing it to something like this, it's like, mm, this doesn't do anything to help us understand Ted Bundy as a, as a person. And moreover, it doesn't really do much to help us understand Lily Collins character either. I think yeah. that. Cause I, I can know. understand it. I can understand if you're like, Hey, we're going to go the route of, you know, we had the documentary this exhaustive documentary that went over everything. So here we're going to kind of shift lanes and go from Liz's perspective or maybe, you know, follow her through this. But again, that's it's really, really basic. And she disappears for long stretches. And then she's essentially just rendered to a person that either A, doesn't answer the phone or B, pours herself a drink. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's literally all she does for like a large chunk of this movie. There's a, those are her two options in life. Yeah. I think that, I think the mistake was made in having the two of them share the screen and share time. I think if they kept, like I said, if they kept it on, uh, Lily Collins character, Liz, they, it, I think it would have turned out a, a lot more, of a, a fascinating take on the whole thing. Just seeing her reaction, seeing how this is destroying her because we know that it, that, that it is destroying her, but 
having some context with that, like, you know, what's it, what's it doing to her day-to-day life? What's it doing to her relationship with her daughter? At one point she, I guess, gets a, a boyfriend with Haley Joel Osment. I don't know if they're like together or he just, she's like friend zoning him or like what's going on there, but exploring that a little bit more. Yeah. Something rather than having Zach Efron as Ted Bundy going to bars at Florida state, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I, it feels like 20% of this movie was Zach Efron calling from a payphone and her not answering. <laughs> There's a phone. lot of that. Yeah. There's a whole over, lot of that over and over and over again. And I mean, even the way they handled like her drinking just felt like an after school special. I mean, there's a fucking scene where she, she puts bottles in her little trash can and like they're standing around like, oh, great, great job. Yeah. For you. And it's just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Who is this for? I will, I will say that Zach Efron does look a lot like Ted Bundy in this. He does. They did, they did a lot of subtle things to make him look more like Ted Bundy. Like they changed his teeth. I don't know if you noticed that, but his teeth look a lot like Ted Bundy's in the like interviews that they would show later Hmm. on and stuff. So lots of, lots of small touches to, to really nail that look. He does does a good job of expressing the kind of crazy eyes that Ted Bundy had. That's another thing, too, that just feels very bizarre because they, they also do where they kind of match the, um, the the time period visuals where, you know, some of it is like you're watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're watching their footage. Yeah, they do cut so they, in like real footage, too. Yeah. In, in, in those. Which it seems like just a lot of resources for what? Like... <laughs> Great. Like, I guess you did a good job of like getting the time period right and blending things together and getting Zach Efron to look like Ted Bundy. But for what? Like, what? You, this was just a waste of time. Why? Yes, these are all questions that I had as well. So I, I can't really recommend this. I can recommend the the documentary series directed by the same guy. The documentary is very well done, but. This version, this this dramatized version, is uh, just not nothing there. Nothing there. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give this a, I don't know, like a four. Four out of ten, maybe. Yeah, I'll that's, give it that's, like a, that's generous. That's a, that's a generous. I mean, that's, that's the other thing, too, that we, we even discussed a little bit before we even watched the thing, where it's like, I just had this feeling that this is just going to be a, a seriously really fo- fine movie. You know what I mean? Where like, it's just in terms of its creation, you know, between, you know, the cinematography and the editing and the acting, and like, it's going to be fine. It's fine. But it's, there's no reason for it. Also, like you could do much worse. You could watch, much worse films but at the same time like the the uh the intention here just makes no sense to me so yeah I'm like a three yeah i thought the performances were fine across the board like uh, i liked the casting of, of john malkovich as the judge thought that was a good choice some of the other some of the other casting choices i thought were good but yeah didn't uh yeah, it, I mean, at the end of the day, all, it just fell flat. Yeah, like everything's fine about it. It's all fine, but I you can't I can't get over that hump of you know essentially just asking yourself like why does this exist? Like why did we have to make this movie? And I don't think there's an answer to that. <laughs> no, I don't either. Because we money, don't. money yeah. maybe, <laughs> which just again feels very offensive and disgusting. Yeah. Yep. Cause it's like you could have made anything else. You could have made a rom-com with Zac Efron that had nothing to do with Ted Bundy at all. It could have just been Lily Collins and Zac Efron 
being nice, happy people. That probably <laughs> would have made you more money. Yeah, probably. All right. That's Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. It's on Netflix right now. Let's move on and talk about some of watching. I think I'm going to start off with my time at Tribeca this year. Oh boy. Yeah, this is, this is my, I think, fourth year at Tribeca. And it, th- overall, I would say this year was, was okay. I saw, I think, 14 movies there. Um, a couple highlights. I'm not going to go over everything I saw. I have reviews for a bunch of stuff up right now. My favorite movie. I'm not going to bury the lead here. I'm just going to start with my number one was, okay. was blow the man down by uh, Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy or Crudy. Okay. This is, this is one that you should definitely keep an eye on. It is a very dark comedy about these, these two sisters who live in this small uh, new England town in Maine and their their mother dies so after they bury their mother like a series of events happen where this guy ends up being killed one of the sisters ends up killing this guy in self-defense and they have to they make the decision not to call the police and they decide to hide the body get rid mm-hmm. of the body That's and bad choice never works out that's just sort of the setup uh, what happens after that is a series of sort of mysteries. There's sort of this mystery behind this town and there's all of these like secrets that the town holds and uh, it is fantastic. I absolutely love this movie. It plays out like sort of a, sort of a noir, but it's, it's very funny. There's a lot of comedy in it and it's got a really solid cast. I mean, uh, Margot Martindale plays sort of the antagonist, okay. uh, Enid, and she runs this bed and breakfast. And you have this, uh, this, this like gaggle of of women who sort of run this town uh, behind the scenes. And uh, those uh, those women are um, played by. Marceline Hugo. Annette, Annette O'Toole. Annette O'Toole, yes. And um, June Squibb. And it, man, this movie is, was just a treat. I, I loved every minute of this movie. I was glued to the screen, just excited to find out what, what happens next. This is almost an entirely female-led cast, too. There's almost no men in this movie at all. And the way that they do, like they, so the, the movie starts with this like sea shanty song and it in between the acts, they play more of these like sea shanties. Cause it's like a fishing town, but it's like these women who are essentially running the whole town. Just a, just a really great time. So I highly recommend keeping an eye on blow the man down. Okay. I think you'll. Uh, yeah, really, it I, sounds I think, good. Yeah, I think you'll really like that one. A documentary that I saw that I really liked is called Scheme Birds. This is directed by Ellen Fisk and uh, Eleanor Holland. Scheme, scheme birds. Yeah, scheme birds. I like the title. It's a good title. Please tell me it's birds with schemes. No, not really. Damn it. It, uh, it, it's sort of a, a slice of life documentary it takes place in this, uh, former steel town, uh, in, in Scotland. It's like Northeast of Glasgow, I believe. And this is like, um, sort of this rundown poverty stricken town where there's not a lot of opportunities for the youth. And all they do is pretty much just drink and party and do drugs and, getting fights. There's a lot of fights happening and it just follows this. Uh, I believe she's 18 when they start, when they start following her, uh, her name's Gemma and just sort of follows her through her life. And then it'll periodically cut away and follow around one of her friends or her grandfather who she lives with. And it's a really, really great uh, sort of fly on the wall style 
documentary okay. that I can uh, heartily recommend. Uh, the Gasoline Thieves. This is another one that was really, really good, su- surprisingly so. Uh, directed by Edgar Nito. This is a Mexican film that is, it's a coming of age story, but it is the, the framing around this is the problem of gasoline stealing in Mexico. So the fuel prices, so there's like a a fuel shortage in Mexico and prices are on the rise. So there's way more uh, demand than there is supply. So what's happening is cartels are moving their focus from the drug trade to the gasoline trade. So they're breaking into fuel companies property and they're putting in illegal taps into their gas lines and they're stealing gas and selling it on the black market. And the, the film is about this, this 14 year old kid who he wants, he has a crush on this girl and he wants to buy her a phone and the phone is pretty expensive. So he ends up getting a job at doing this, being a gas thief and mm. the horrible dangers that, that come along with it. I can imagine. Yeah. It's a very, very dangerous job, not just from uh, the, the perspective of anything could catch on fire at any time because you're like busting into these pipes but also the fact that these operations are run by cartels who have no qualms about killing a child yeah so it's it's a very it's it's really good it's uh beautifully photographed but it is very sad it's a very tragic story but it is certainly one i can recommend again that's the gasoline thieves Okay. Another one that I saw is called Crown Vic. This is uh, directed by Joel Souza, and it it takes place over the course of one night, and it follows two LAPD officers on just going about their shift. They're just going on their shift, and the movie starts at the beginning of their shift, ends at the end of their shift, and it one one of the guys played by Thomas Jane is sort of this veteran he's been on the force for 25 years and he's taking on uh, a new recruit played by luke Kleintank. and it's like his he's like a rookie he's he's only been at it for a very short time and he just got transferred to their precinct it was his first night and the movie just there's there's a couple like through lines that are happening but for the most part, it's sort of done in this like procedural way where we spend some time with them just driving around patrolling. Then they'll get a call. They'll go, they'll do that call back in the car. Same thing. I really liked how this was structured. Um, the, the sort of through lines, there's like maybe two or three that were happening and those were pretty interesting, but I liked the, the sort of, just going to random calls aspect of it where a lot of the movie is just them driving around, you know, not doing anything, just, just chatting, getting to know each other. And then they'll get a call for like a car, a car fire and they'll go and they'll check out this car fire and report on it. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the, the, the plot as a whole, Yeah, but it's just a, a day in the life. And in that way, uh, the movie feels very real, feels, feels very uh, gritty and realistic. And uh, I, I quite liked it. Okay. Yeah. Know. Crown Vic. Um, that's, those are the ones that I'll mainly get into detail on. I, I think I have reviews for all of those up on the site now. Another one that I would keep, a, keep an eye out on is Goldie. I think you'll like that one, Kevin. Uh, it's about a teenager who is she's down on her luck. Um, her, her mom gets, uh, taken away and they, uh, her mom gets arrested and they, her and her sisters flee from, uh, ch- children and youth services. 
and they're sort of homeless and they have to try to figure out what they're going to do. And, um, they, she has dreams of becoming, uh, a music video dancer. So that's like what she wants to do. And so she's trying to save up and get as much money as she can to buy this, this yellow fur coat and be in this music video. And that's going to like pull her and her sisters out of this slump that they're in. That's quite good. It, it does. There's a lot of creative flourishes in this, like periodically throughout the movie, they'll like animate over top of what's happening, which is kind of interesting, like sort of drawing, like hand drawn, like outlines and stuff. I don't know how to properly describe it, but it looks really cool. This is directed by uh, Sam DeHong, who did Prince back in 2015. The name sounds familiar. Yeah. And I I really liked Prince a lot. And I really like Goldie a lot, too. Uh, Goldie takes place in New York. Prince, on the other hand, is like, mm, that's like like Norwegian or something. I think it was the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that was just about him trying to get some shoes, right? I think so, yeah. So he's just getting shoes and now trying to get a fur coat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's got to work on a wardrobe. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely recommend Goldie. I didn't write up a review for that just yet. What? I'm not sure if I'm going to get to it or not. There's a lot going on here, all right? No. Yeah. Uh, that's, those are the highlights. There were some other sort of middling ones. Um, there was some not great things that I saw there, but for the most part, I'd say it was a, it was a pretty good year. Okay. I'm getting a sense though that it didn't seem like a, like a great year. No, I mean, blow the man down was, was, uh, was great. Uh, the other ones like, you know, a, a lot of times there'll be like maybe two or three, Maybe maybe five great movies at a festival, and then uh, the rest, I'm just like, oh, yeah, they're okay. But for the most part, there was like, Blow the Man Down was definitely a highlight, and then the other ones were like, yeah, those are pretty good. Gotcha. Uh, I watched a out-and-out classic, 1987's Hollywood Shuffle, Robert Townsend. Uh, I've seen this movie so many times, but I don't know if I've ever seen it, you know, start... The finish. I think I've just seen it in clips, but uh, finally just sat down. I was like, I'm gonna watch this start to finish. And God, this movie's just so fucking good. I love this thing. It is I, number one. I love the structure of it, where it has a very simple through line, where he plays a, an aspiring actor, Bobby Taylor, and he's just trying to get. He's just trying to, you know, get a role. He's practicing lines, running lines, trying to get this role. And that's essentially all it is. But there's so many asides. There's so many daydreams that he has. And then they're all presented in these like little, little sketches. So it's little comedy sketches throughout the whole movie to kind of fill up this very, very small narrative that's going on, which is not only funny, but at the same time, kind of poignant too, where he wants better roles for black actors where really all they get is, you know, street thugs, pimps, that type of deal. And he finally gets the role. It's a big deal for him. But at the same time, he's kind of up against this wall of where it's like, it's a really demeaning role and it's really ridiculous. And it, he kind of fights with himself as if he's going to be able to do this. Then he ultimately decides not to, but the like the little sketches throughout this this movie are just they're classics to me. The black acting school I think is always going to be a classic. There's the the Eddie Murphy nightmare, which I think is just not only is it really funny and kind of bizarre, but just the way that it's it's shot. Like the the editing and the framing of everything, I think it's just perfect. And it's just a whole bunch of people doing Eddie Murphy impressions. And Robert Townsend does a really great Eddie Murphy impression. And it's just, it just cracks me up every time. And then there's the um, Keenan Ivory Wayans, 
with his, they kind of do like this film noir knockoff where Robert Townsend's playing this private eye, trying to find the guy that killed this break dancer and Keenan Ivory Wayne's plays, uh, I think it's, what is it? Jerry curl. And he's obsessed with it. He's, I can't remember his name. I think it's just Jerry curl. I never saw this movie, so I don't oh, know. You've never seen, oh, come on. You gotta. I, I thought you at least probably seen clips from it I, or something. I probably saw clips on TV, but I don't really remember too much. Well, Keenan Ivory Wayne's, you know, he's, he's obsessed with his activator for his Jerry Curl. And it's just, he does so much over like a short period of time. You know, it's, it's, pretty, it's a brisk movie, but does, it packs so many ideas into it. And it's just, it's great. I can't recommend it highly enough. And this was on... This is on um, Criterion Channel. I got to check it out. Finally see it start to finish. I'm going to have to definitely give this a look. I just know Robert Townsend from Meteor Man. Remember Meteor Man? Yeah. And that was the, <laughs> that's why I ended up watching it because I was like, man, when I was younger, I loved Robert Townsend. I absolutely loved him. But like, I haven't seen any of his stuff in ages. I have a Meteor Man poster. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm gonna have to revisit that one. <laughs> I loved Robert Townsend. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'll definitely give this a look. Absolutely. Uh, I saw the biggest little farm, which comes out this Friday. This is this is just a joy. I I had a feeling we talked about this a little bit off offline, and I I had a feeling that this was going to be just a joyous movie, and it it absolutely is. So the, the documentary about this, this young couple who they, they have this, uh, the, the husband works as a cinematographer and a cameraman for like nature, nature shows, nature movies, like discovery stuff. And he was working on a show that involved a, a pet hoarder where she had like 200 dogs or something. And they end up, uh, he he met this one dog and sort of fell in love with this dog and adopted it. His name's Todd, by the way, and he's just uh, <laughs> just a gorgeous dog, just a really really great dog. And he made this promise to Todd, saying that he would he would never leave him. And they got ended up getting evicted from their apartment in Santa Monica because when whenever he would leave the the apartment. He, he or his wife would leave the apartment. The dog would just bark nonstop and they tried everything. They tried trainers. They tried like getting one of those vests, you know, the like comfort vests and yeah. they tried everything and nothing, nothing worked. And they had this like dream to uh, buy a farm and, and create a fully self-sustained farm. And when they got evicted, they took this as an opportunity to, to do that, to, to try to chase their dream. And they end up buying a 200-acre plot of land uh, two hours north of Los Angeles. And they created this farm that is sort of, it's, it's, it sort of coexists with nature. So they use everything, like everything's sustainable. They have like... 75 different types of uh, stone fruit in their orchards and they have like chickens and sheep and cows and pigs. And it's, it's like a, more of a traditional farm and they sort of just use everything in a way that it, it all coexists. And they turned this plot of land that had like dead soil, dead everything. And they completely transformed it into this like beautiful lush, uh, farm and it wasn't, they weren't, there was like, I'd say like 90% of the movie is horrible shit happening to them just nonstop. Oh, and no. it, yeah. But at the same time, like they, they persevere, like they push through it. Like they had this coyote problem where coyotes were breaking in and killing chickens, like hundreds of chickens were being killed just over and over and over again. And they just couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to stop the coyotes. And then they realized let's, instead of trying to stop the coyotes, let's try to work with the coyotes and have the coyotes 
focus on because they had a gopher problem too. So they're like, okay, well, let's see if we can get the coyotes to go after the gophers instead of the chickens. So the whole movie is just them having these disastrous things happen and then coming up with creative ways to solve them. And what they end up with is this like insane, like circle of life ecosystem that it all, like everything works together. And it's just a, first of all, it's absolutely stunning the cinematography in this it feels more like a nature documentary than it does um like a a vlog of sorts which is sort of what it is okay uh but because of because of this guy's background as a nature photographer like he knows how to shoot nature and it looks really really incredible there's a lot of really great drone shots there's he uses like slow motion the time lapse there's there's a lot of really great cinematography in this and i would say if you can see in the theater uh if that's an option i would highly recommend that but uh yeah i really i really loved it i thought it was great i i can see why some people may look at it and i have a review for this dropping probably right around when this episode drops um <clears throat> and in it i sort of talk about how i could see why people might look at this as sort of an ad like it's sort of a commercial for this farm in a lot of ways because this is this is a working farm and like you can buy stuff from this farm you can go take tours and (laughs) the people who made the documentary are the owners of the farm so in some ways you know certainly there's some bias in there and but i was so easily able to just disregard that and just sort of uh, be enthralled by this story. And the, 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 the husband and wife, they're like, they're very likable characters and you just want them to succeed. And, you know, you get attached to the animals too. And it's, it's a, just a really great documentary. And I, I think it was, I watched it right after Extremely Wicked, et cetera. So it was go. like the perfect palate cleanser. It just, it came in at just the right time. And yeah, it's wonderful. So biggest little farm, highly recommend it. Yeah. I have one that I don't, I don't know whether I recommend it or if I don't, but I also know that it doesn't matter at all because I think everyone else has already seen it and that's burning which I remember you being kind of not not quite getting all the fuss. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and I understand why you feel that way. I get it. This is a, a, on Netflix now. You can watch it on Netflix if you're one of the people that haven't seen it yet. But I feel like I'm way late to the party. And also, I don't... I, I'm like you. I, like it's, it's beautiful in a lot of spots especially a lot of stuff like out in the country, like when mm-hmm. a lot of the filming, like at dusk, look, it, it looks incredible. It looks beautiful. But the actual story here, I is I, like to me, it just tipped its hand like super early and knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. And it, it didn't really feel like it went anywhere. I don't yeah, know. I'm, gl- I just kind of I'm glad like, you agree uh, with me. I'm I'm glad that you're the one person who agrees with me on this. It's not like I didn't. I, I'll reiterate. It's not like I didn't like the movie. I just didn't think that it was the greatest thing. Like I, f- I felt like it was a little bit overhyped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's. I do wonder um, if this was a movie that no one really talked about, you know. And I saw it. How would I feel about it? You know what I mean? Like, what kind of um, impact did that have? Where, you know, for a while there, it was like everybody fucking talking about burning. Gotta see burning. It's incredible. Oh, my God. Burning. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know yeah. what kind of impact that had. But, like, you know, a lot of it at the end, I'm just kind of like, yeah, that was, that was fine. Like, I don't, didn't really feel that special. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Like it was good. Performances were good. 
you know, character development was on point. Like Stephen mm-hmm. Young's character was a yeah. fascinating character, but, but <laughs> I don't want to, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but like, as soon as you're introduced to him, I'm like, Oh, he's, yeah, I know what he is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, know, I know what's going on there. I know exactly where this is going. Yeah. And then it goes exactly there. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. I got you. I'd still recommend checking it out since it's on Netflix now. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot easier getting yep. access to it. But yeah, I just, it's, it's good. It's good. All right. <laughs> it's, just like, it's good, I guess. Uh, I don't, I don't really have anything else. I have one, one very, it's not available anymore. So I feel bad. But this was on um, Festival Scope, uh, part of their, on their free version of their website. They do, you know, a lot of festivals where they, they usually pick like seven or eight films, usually a handful of, of shorts and a couple of features that you can watch for free, like within a certain window. Um, and every year they seem to do a new director's new film festival. You usually get like a, a slate of like eight or nine films on there, which I always try and catch up on because I usually like what, what plays there. And I was able to catch one, which I thought was absolutely fantastic, which might be like one of my favorites of the year so far. And that's one of those mid, those mid length films called America by Garrett Bradley. Uh, this is a black and white. And essentially what she does here is there was a, a silent film from 1913 called Lime Kiln Club Field Day. It was like an all-black cast. It was a black movie. It's just this, I guess, the Lime Kiln Club just having a fucking field day. Just, <laughs> just having fun. Just having a party. Just loving life. You know? And it was lost for forever. Until like 24. 20- 14, 15, something like that, something recently, you know, and it was restored and able to see it. So she kind of uses that as like the jumping point as like, uh, like black cinema per se. And she has footage of that movie in her movie. And then she kind of tracks from that point and then recreates like black film history up until like the present day, just about. So you kind of go through black cinema and these little, these little artistic vignettes kind of, but they're, you know, all kind of pieced together and they kind of segue into each other. And then the, the lime kiln film shows up occasionally and it kind of stops on there and just the structure of it, the, cre- uh, the, the creation of it, everything, the way that it tracks through is I thought was fantastic. And like the music is incredible the whole way throughout and especially like the way that it swells up at the end. It just like, it all comes together. I mean, damn near perfectly. I don't know if you could do it any better than the way it exists on screen. And, uh, I, I can't quite remember. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was like 30, 30 minutes or so. That's what it says on letterbox. Okay. Yeah. It's just, if you, if it, if it, shows up somewhere if it pops up somewhere else again check it out and i will make sure that if i know that it comes up again somewhere else i will let you know because it's definitely worth a look oh great and that is uh america by garrett bradley all right let's take a look at what's coming out in theaters this week we got a big one pokemon detective pikachu Ooh. Yeah, I heard some things about this. I heard that this this may be the movie that breaks the video game curse. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then Sonic is going to come out and <laughs> put it right back Man, in that curse. I just don't I don't understand the Sonic thing. I just don't get it. Why it exists or why people <laughs> why? are upset over the design. Oh, I know exactly why people are upset <laughs> over the design. Are you kidding me? Did you see that? That's not yeah. Sonic. I don't like it's not even close. 
it's it's funny because like I I had this conversation with my wife and then also I've I've seen the the discourse on Twitter and other social media about why people are bent out of shape over the the design of Sonic like what's it what does it matter it's like an animated character blah 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 and my response to that and first I'm not even a big Sonic guy I'm not a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan I was I guess uh, I like some of the games, maybe, but mm-hmm. yeah. never a huge Sonic fanboy. So I don't really have skin in the game when it comes to this movie. Like, it, regardless of the design of Sonic, I think the movie looks bad. We'll put oh, that yeah. out there. It's just a, it's a terrible idea from the start. Like maybe the, if you just made straightforward animated movie, yeah, you'd be fine. I I agree. I think they would have been better off just doing an animated one, but to the to the design of sonic and it, it it was unsettling to me like when i saw the trailer i was there was something about his design that made me very unsettled like i find him to be disturbing and i don't know if it's the human teeth a lot of people pointed out that that he has the human teeth or I think the it's fact a combo it's a combo of the teeth it's the legs mhm the legs seem far too long. It's just, it's weird. Like, at, at the very most, okay, if you're going to do this, if you're going to make this, you know, half live action, half CGI Sonic movie, I think at the very least you have to get him to look exactly like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. And then move from there. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, they did announce that they're changing the design, which it's a no win scenario, right? Like they're changing the design because they screwed it up so royally bad. And there was such an outrage, but now the conversation has shifted to, you know, all all the people that worked so hard on the original design, the bad design are now either going to see their work completely demolished or they'll have to come back and redo all their work. Probably probably working under crunch conditions because they're not pushing the release date back to my knowledge. Yeah. So they're So they're going to be working, you know, long hours, probably Ooh. not any additional pay for this. It's so Plus, it's, the, the design is so bad that you know that those people that were working on it at some point in time had to be like, Hey, how about we do this? Or how exactly. About we, and they're just like, nah, nah, nah. This is this is the Sonic we want. This, this is the guy, and they're yeah. just like, "Are you, are you sure?" <laughs> when when you look at this the Sonic, you know that that was a boardroom decision. Like, there's no way any true fan of Sonic the Hedgehog or even anyone who's remotely familiar with the character would sign off on that design. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even played a Sonic game I, it's maybe since God. I don't even know. It's been ages since I've played Sonic. But even like immediately when I saw him, just like that's not Sonic. I don't know who that is, but <laughs> it's not my Sonic. <laughs> it's not the Sonic I know. Yeah, I just uh, either way, even with the redesign, I don't think it works. I saw like the the mock up of what the redesign looks like, and it looks a lot better. But I mean, we still have to see it in action, and I don't think it's going to save the movie or anything. <laughs> We don't have to see it in action because I'm not going to. Oh, no. I mean, I meant like a, a new trailer. Like, I, 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 I don't mean as far as like me going to the theater to see this movie because I absolutely will not. I will go see Detective Pikachu. However, I think that this actually looks quite fun. Now, they did a similar thing with this by making the Pokemon look less cartoony and more real. But you can only make a Pokemon look so real, you know? True. Very true. I heard I heard good things, so I'll I'll be giving it a look. It looks it looks like a good time. We also have uh the hustle coming out. This is the one that's with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson, sort of a dirty rotten scoundrels reboot okay. of sorts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm it doesn't just, look great. I, re- I, re- I remember this one now. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look great. We have Palms coming out. This is about uh bunch of older women who become cheerleaders with like Diane Keaton and oh, okay. uh, Jackie Weaver and Pam Greer. They break her out. 
blew yeah. her up into the van in her wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. There you uh, go. Yeah, no. We have uh, The Biggest Little Farm. We have Pasolini. We have Tolkien coming out. That's the biopic about J.R.R. Tolkien. That's, oh. that's a hard pass for me on that one. The Professor and the Madman. <laughs> that movie looks insane. I don't get it. That's the one yeah. about the dictionary, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. With, with Mel the... Gibson and Sean Penn. Are you serious? That's, oh my God, that's nuts. Yeah, it's about the, the Oxford Dictionary. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> uh, let's see what else we have here. All is true. We have General Magic, which is a documentary about uh, the company General Magic. Those sort of the, oh, they were like the people who made the iPhone. Essentially, like they they came up with the idea for an iPhone like device, like way before Apple. I was, I was hoping that it was going to be a magic movie. No. But just focused on like general magic, <laughs> just just regular, you know, nothing, you nothing fancy. You run of the mill magic, <laughs> like the the type of magic that you get in like the magic kits <laughs> for kids. Just sleight of hand, <laughs> but like really basic sleight of hand too. <laughs> All right, we have Charlie says coming out. That's the one directed by Mary Heron. Okay, yeah, it's a. Another Charles Manson movie, one of at least three coming out this year, and I I can't really recommend this. It's just that everyone's cashing on serial killers this year, I guess. It's the 50th anniversary of the Manson killing. Uh, Oh, we're gonna be anniversaries. Yeah, I don't know if that has something to do with it, or is that a good idea? Probably not. No, probably not. But they did it anyway. Jesus Christ. We, that's pretty much it for theaters on VOD this week. We have 79 parts and this is on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We have scary stories, which is a documentary about scary stories to tell in the dark. Okay. I guess it's could be used as a compendium to the upcoming oh. uh, movie version of it. Do you remember these books? I think oh, there was two of them. Oh yeah. I never understood these these books. I, I read them every time, every chance I could get. I know I don't think I ever owned one of them, but I would always try to get my hands on one because we had them at school. And yeah. I to this day can never quite understand how these were marketed towards children because they are horrific. <laughs> these books are horrific. <laughs> but they're great. I might look give the the documentary a look um, i don't know if i have time just to get catch some footage of like the classic book fair or something yeah i mean the the documentary is sort of all about how controversial the books were so eh. we have room for rent that's a horror movie and then on friday we have wine country this is the this is on netflix this is the one with uh amy poehler and Okay, my Rudolph and all them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the whole That's gang, the whole gang back together in one yeah. country. Rachel Dratch, Tina Fey, Anna Gasteyer. Oh man, nice. Yeah, I'll give that a look. The hell yeah, I'm watching that. Yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll review it next week. Who knows? We might. Uh, that's pretty much it for VOD on Blu-ray this week. We have some 4K releases, including Black Hawk Down, Hannibal. Hellboy 2, Lego Movie 2, Backdraft, uh, Forrest Gump. The Lego Movie 2 is also coming out on regular Blu-ray. Never, I didn't see that in theaters. Me either. And I loved the first one. Uh, same lot. here. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I have no doubt that I'll love the second one, but for some reason it just eluded me. I think it came out at like kind of a weird time. I think I was like traveling or something when it came out. The Prodigy is coming out. That's the horror movie from earlier this year that's pretty much it there's just there's not a whole lot coming out on blu-ray this week just a lot of re-releases of previous movies that's interesting yeah what about criterions uh we have one criterion unless yours says otherwise because you slapped an s one there 
N- no, is I this, just do we have different different info? I don't all, I don't think so. Okay. All I have is William Wyler's the the heiress from nineteen forty nine. Just jam packed. Jam packed with special features. Short films and TV show appearances, documentaries, all sorts of stuff. Bullet point after bullet point. Nice. And we took the week off last week, but that's when uh, Police Story 1 and 2 came out on Criterion, so I didn't really have a chance to talk about it other than when I talked about the movies themselves. But I would highly recommend, I would highly, highly recommend picking that up on Criterion. I I do have a review for that up on the site as well. Tons of, tons of great bonus features in that in that sucker it's a two disker oh man two disc Mm -hmm. all right i think that's going to do it for this week thank you so much for listening you can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net you can follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin if you have a minute take a look at our patreon page patreon.com slash filmpulse consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber for kevin rakestraw my name is adam patterson we'll see you next week